Welcome everyone to our second episode of Housing Matters. My name is Corey Jalseth and I'm the External Affairs Manager for the Rental Housing Association of Washington. Uh, I want to start by thanking everyone very much who listened to our first episode, my interview with Tacoma Council Member John Hines. Thank you again for all of your uh, listening and thank you for those of you that submitted comments for suggestions on future topics. I really very much appreciate it. Uh, Anybody new, thank you very much for trying out our podcast. I hope you find it very enjoyable. Before I really jump into this episode, I just want to take the time to thank everyone who spent their time and came down to volunteer in Tacoma to help us fight the ballot measure down there, uh, Tacoma Measure 1, that would really degrade the uh, housing supply down in Tacoma. So thank you again for everybody who turned out for our doorbelling weekends, uh, sign waving, did any sort of public speaking that you possibly could, reached out to everybody you knew to try to educate people on the detrimental impacts of Measure 1. Uh, we just want to say, I just want to say a very big thank you from RHA and all of our staff here for all of your efforts. We could not have done it without you. Thank you. Now, to dive into this week's podcast, it's a little bit of a different format than what you would think uh, for a normal podcast. We, I didn't sit down and have kind of a long-form interview with one person. I actually had the privilege of interviewing three different people, and so I kind of go through different subjects, uh, matter, and questions, and we kind of jump through what each one of them had to say about that. So uh, don't be surprised if we kind of, one speaker finishes up and then we jump to the next person immediately and they kind of give their input on it. Um, It's just a little bit of different format. We'll call it more of kind of an investigative journalistic format, Um, but still very, very uh, easy to listen to. And I hope you enjoy it. I had the privilege of speaking with a local rental housing provider in Seattle, a rental housing provider in Bellevue, and then also a landlord tenant attorney. For this episode, I have Jason Roth, or if you've been paying any attention to the local media as of late, you'll know him as Van Guy. Uh, I also have Jimmy Singh. He is a local rental housing provider with a home in Bellevue where he's having a really big hard time removing a tenant, just as Jason Roth, uh, Van Guy, is having a hard time removing a tenant from his Seattle home. I also spoke with Caitlin Jackson, a landlord-tenant law attorney with Williams Kastner. Uh, Caitlin litigates eviction cases all through the Seattle-Tacoma metro area, up to Snohomish County, down, down in Pierce County, and all that. The purpose of combining all these interviews is to demonstrate how dire the situation is with the current eviction timeline in King County. Uh, for a lot of eviction cases, it can take up to a year. Even if everything goes smoothly, you file all of your paperwork on time, you follow all the policies to the letter. Uh, a lot of simple non-pay eviction policies or uh, lawsuits can take up to an entire year. During our conversation, you may hear the abbreviation HJP, that is the Housing Justice Project. And the Housing Justice Project is an organization that provides pro bono attorneys to tenants when they are facing an eviction process and they need an attorney to help them go through that entire process. So my main question for all three of these people, once we kind of heard their situations and their background and everything is why does this seem to be taking so long just in King County? Because when you speak to other rental housing providers who have properties in other counties, or when I spoke with Caitlin Jackson, the uh, uh, tenant law attorney, they're only having this problem in King County. So I really wanted to try to dig into what seems to be the issue with just King County specifically. A question I ran past all three of them is, will small rental housing providers continue to provide affordable rental housing if the region as a whole seems to be passing more and more um, punitive legislation on rental housing providers that makes it extremely one-sided for the tenant? I also asked, with such a lengthy eviction timeline, do, do our interviewees think that the eviction process is less safe than it used to be and will we continue to see a rise in confrontation when the eviction process does come down to the final move out. 
I hope our conversation will spark some thoughts on how we, what we may be able to do to improve the situation and kind of gets everybody thinking about why is this taking so long and just in King County. Uh, today, I'm joined by Jason Roth, a local landlord from Seattle. Uh, and Jason, for those not uh, familiar with your story, would you mind uh, filling in our listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Jason. I have a single rental property in South Seattle. It's been my primary residence since 2016. And I rented bedrooms out to friends and I recently decided to try to rent the whole house out. I followed all of the rules, um, the, the county and city, and I ended up with a tenant that scammed me, moved in, uh, paid $1,000 and nothing after that. It was Airbnb the property and to save money and help with my situation, I decided to move into a camper van. And I am currently waiting um, eight months out of a year process to get him out. Something that's been very, uh, very well covered in the media. Um, Jason Roth, or everybody knows him as Van Guy. I don't know how familiar you are with his, his I'm story. Very familiar. What's what's your take on that? Um, my take on it is that um, it's well. To be honest with you, yeah. it's a, it's a story so commonplace now in King County. Yeah that I wasn't shocked by it. I mean, it's funny sure. because it's like now that Ge the only issue here is that Jesse actually has gotten some media attention on something that right. has been a problem for three years now. Sure. Jason yeah. Roth is not the for first. No. Nor will he be the last. Uh, nor is he the only owner that is having to couch surf live in a van, sure. um, live in an RV, live in, uh, live with parents, you know, go into foreclosure, you know, any of the above that has been happening all over the place. The only difference in this case is that Jesse is involved. Sure. I guess the, uh, playing, playing the fourth estate, so to speak, uh, and, and doing a good job with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little, a too little, too late. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. like sure. this stuff should have been, in, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I contacted different news agencies to try to get their attention on this stuff a long time ago. I don't yep. know. I mean, I'm kind of just upset that it's happening so late in the game. And Caitlin was correct. I spoke with another local rental housing provider in Bellevue. Meet Jimmy Singh. For our listeners, can you give a general uh, overview of the timeline of your efforts to remove uh, this tenant from your property for non-payment of rent? Uh, it has been since July 20. 22, it's more than one year, like almost, yeah. And we followed each and every step provided to us. So there was not a single step we missed that so that it could delayed. But it has been just a really shock for me. Being an immigrant, I waited for 10 years to get a green card here. And now I'm going through, the, again, the same justice, yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you initially filed... Um, a you started a lawsuit for an eviction, and then yes. you had the uh, King County Eviction Prevention and Rent Assistance Program uh, come in and say, hey, we'll we'll help you square this up. And so they, correct me if I'm wrong, they uh, gave you five months back rent and three months advance rent. Is that correct? Yes. So uh, the process went through. We gave a 15-day notice. And after the notice, that the, that time the COVID thing was there. So they said, you have to go through the conflict, uh, conflict resolution with the city of Bellevue. Okay. Which got, we went to, um, there was a volunteers working there, um, employees, but it took two, it delayed two months. And after we get a letter from them, we went to the eviction uh, court. It 
and they gave us a February 10th to get him. So after talking to Jason and Jimmy about their, their eviction process experience, I had to ask Caitlin, is it really taking a year? Let's, let's take the fastest version of an on-payment case, 14 days, service of the lawsuit within, you know, a week after that, that's 21 days. Um, let's say we get the benefit of the doubt and go personal service, you know, okay. 40, mm-hmm. 20, 28 days response. Let's say they respond, we set it, which if they respond or they send a notice of appearance, now I have to do a motion in order to show cause. So I, it takes me another two or three days, file my motion ex parte, get a court date. That court date's now five months out. So five months goes by, you show up to the hearing. That's the first hearing. HJP will say, oh, well, we are going to screen. The tenant shows up. HJP will say, I'm the friend of the court. I need to screen this person for our help. They go off into this room for five or 10 minutes, come back. Oh, magically, they re- we can represent them. Another five-month continuance. So you're really at a year at that point. Wow. So a year for and typical. And that's the fast version. Like that. that's, yeah. that's the fast version in King County. It doesn't Starting. matter if you have an axe murderer uh, <laughs> or, you know, somebody that just hasn't paid rent in a few months. It's right. going to be a year. Wow. If you're if you're in a like, let's say that whole scenario can plan out the pan out the exact same way after waiting 90 days after a notice of intent to personally occupy. Okay. So let's yep. and this happens a lot with like, let's say somebody has works for a company like Microsoft or Boeing. Um, I've had a few of these where they are relocated temporarily to sure. another country to finish out a project, mm-hmm. come back um, or need to come back. And so they contact my office, say, hey, listen, I need a 90 day notice of intent to personally occupy because my job is finished. They're giving oh, me no. four months heads up, you mm-hmm. know, or two months. Right. I'm going to have to stay in a hotel or find a short term rental, you know, nearby the office until sure. then. Um and then they end up a year later still out of possession of their property. Um, a year still. Right. So then, and then if they're not paying on top of that, I've had situations where it's really traumatic on them because if let's say they live, they need to live, you know, 20 or 30 miles from their office. So they're paying $4,500 a month for rent, but then their tenants also not paying rent. Yeah. So, and they, and they shouldn't, you know, be covering both of these places that can be financially really traumatizing. Sure. Um, especially if the tenant turns out to be judgment proof, you can get, a, you know, a judgment for as much money as you want. It's not worth the paper it's printed on if they don't have any money. Right. Or I guess if they declared bankruptcy or something. Oh yeah, that, that, that yeah. happens regularly. Okay. Yeah. So let's go back. I'm sorry. I didn't finish because, you know, you get your show cause hearing, assuming you win, yeah. right? Assuming that somewhere the law hasn't changed at some point, but, you know, when you started the case, because we've seen that happen so many times, cases have to start over three or four times because the law keeps changing, right? Uh, So let's say you go go to your hearing and you win after, you know, oral argument for two hours and you've got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of attorney's fees, or they set it, so they could set it for trial if there's an issue of fact. Yeah. So then you've got trial 30 or 45 days out after that and probably another $15,000, $20,000 in attorney's fees to pay just for trial. Okay. So, and then, but if you win outright at the show cause, you send the writ of restitution to the sheriff's office and the sheriff's office wants 60 more days to actually execute the writ. 
Now it's the sheriff's office. They want 60 more days. So now you're at, you know, 13 months, 14 months at this point. Okay. Yep. And then let's say the tenant files for bankruptcy the day of the sheriff showing up, you know, 45 days after you posted the writ or they, they actually go to conduct the eviction. Uh Sheriff's office walks away. They're not, and I've had this happen where the tenant will literally post the printout from the federal bankruptcy court's website and put it on the door. And so then the sheriff turns around and walks away. Then you have to go to the bankruptcy court and hire an attorney to do a motion for relief from the automatic stay to then get, you know, that'll take another 45 to 60 days to actually get the court to sign off on that. And, And it probably could be shorter, but you have to contact an attorney and you have to get a consultation and you have to onboard them, you know, because usually you're not having the same attorney for your unlawful detainer eviction and your bankruptcy case. Sometimes that happens. And I have done that for tenants in the past. Okay. Uh, or sorry, for landlords in the past. Mm-hmm. But given all the law changes in landlord tenant law, I've just had to focus on one thing. Um, so um, then you get your relief from stay 30, 45 days later, but then your writ has expired for the sheriff's office. So then you have to go back to the court and get a motion for a renewal of the original writ of restitution and then put your order of relief from the automatic stay as an exhibit to that, get it issued. And then once again, the sheriff wants 60 more days. (laughs) Now, now put this in the context of your case being about non-payment of rent. Sure. Remember that the this in, and you're in the city of Seattle where you cannot conduct an eviction based on non-payment of rent during the school year. Yep. And then so, the winter too for, for and people the not school so year. So yep. even if you have your order from the court, the sheriff's not going to execute right. during the school year. So if you do all of this and it's September 2nd, by the time you get your writ, your new writ to the sheriff, then you're gonna wait until end March. of June, oh, no oh, school year. Oh, for school year, sure. Yeah, end yeah, of yeah. June, and then by then they can file for bankruptcy again, because they can file for bankruptcy and use the automatic stay once a year. So I have cases I foresee really, really smart, you know, tenants sure. that know how to work these systems. Yeah, you could draw this out for years. So Caitlin abbreviates there HJP, that's the Housing Justice Project, that is a uh, free pro bono attorneys for tenants in King County who are facing eviction. And uh, when asked about the experience with the Housing Justice Project while being on the landlord side of that interaction, I asked uh, Jason and Jimmy both about that, and they both had very similar stories. So as you said, you've, you've gone through all of the uh, legal challenges and you've been um, interviewed by a lot of, uh, of other media personalities, Jesse Jones at Cairo and um, Brandy Cruz and um, many other media outlets. And um, you've gone through all the legal challenges and you tried to do the right thing and you had uh, your first actual court appearance last week. Um, and the uh, tenant on your property was granted um, basically a, a automatic continuance. Am I, am I correct on that? Right. Yeah, I waited months and months to get a court date. I was looking forward to the court date. And I had a feeling it would get continued because what happens is the Housing mm-hmm. Justice Project provides him a free lawyer if he qualifies. Uh, he qualified and they didn't hear any facts of the case. They just continued it. And I guess they're so backlogged that the continuance is March 12th until March 12th. So that leaves me um, paying for everything 
five more months, five more months. I, you know, going to be couch surfing and sleeping in my van until then. I just can't afford to put a lease on a new place right now. Um, I was not expecting even on my worst case scenario that it would be in, into March. And, and plus once March comes around, that's not the day he leaves. Right. You know, that if I have to get the sheriff involved, that's three months away. So it's not even a summer that it could be into fall. The massive backlog that it just seems like King County seems to be having with with eviction cases, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm curious if you you know just have any any other opinion. I'm not in the courts, and I really I, again maybe you can tell just for, I've said this a few times, but I can only speak on things that I sure. know firsthand, mm-hmm. and I know that they've said they're only hearing a couple cases a day when they when they are hearing eviction cases, um, but I do know that the commissioners are seeing this case these cases and not, um, you know, more uh, superior aspects. court judges, yeah, sure. no mm-hmm. superior court judges. Mm-hmm. And I think that this backlog I, to me is an emergency and it should be, it should be, it should be dealt with accordingly. And then maybe we move back to letting commissioners take the cases once, once they're caught up, but I'm not involved, super involved in the legal system. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, a little bit more of a sense of urgency. Oh yeah. For both yeah. the providers and the tenants. Absolutely. From July, we got September 1st, which was, he was supposed to show up, but, and the housing justice uh, project lawyer, I think, they never notify that they will come for the, which which is again a law, but uh, that was our lawyer saying that they have to notify me before they, if they're coming to the hearing. But the only message was uh, that they are retained and next hearing is supposed to be in two weeks but due to the their king county justice they are busy courts are busy so they november 15 is next week yeah uh, it's like two months okay so you go through all that and the housing justice project as you said um didn't really inform you of what was going to be going on with your tenants at that at that actual court hearing and so they were you were given a continuance to yes. um, november okay Okay, and that seems to be a uh, from other uh, rental housing providers I've spoken with and eviction attorneys and all that. That seems to be a fairly um, common thing happening in King County with uh, the housing justice project. So I, I don't think you're you're alone in that at all. To me, that's the problem. The problem yeah. here is the court creates the problem that they then turn around and complain about. I go back yeah. to like Renee Zellweger's character in Cold Mountain. I don't know if you ever saw it, but I she, have, I think I she got an Emmy for it. It was amazing where she yeah. talks about how they they are the ones that create the weather and they turn around and complain about the rain. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's uh-huh. how I feel about the commissioners in King County Court. I'm like, you all <laughs> complain all day about your calendar, but you're the one creating this problem. I mean, I would almost guarantee you if the court would have just taken the simple step of like, all right, you're here. Today is the show cause hearing. Mm-hmm. If you're not going to answer, I will allow a continuance. Yes, you're right. My next hearing isn't out until, you know, March. That's all I can do. But you need to turn in your answer and your responses in 30 days, which is generous even at that. But sure. once that answer comes out, the parties get more of a ability to, you know, do discovery, figure mm-hmm. out what error, you know, holes there are in their case. And it leads to settlement negotiations, okay. right? But instead, yeah. they want to wait until the last two weeks before the next hearing to start the to start, you know, get the parties, you know, forced to start talking about these things. Sure. So that means that you're more likely going to have more continuances. So you're creating the problem that you're then yeah. complaining about. 
And I know you mostly, uh, maybe you only exclusively do uh, King County, but are you noticing, or do you have any other attorneys that you work with that are noticing the same problem in other counties or mostly just King oh, County? No. I work in Snohomish. I work mm -hmm. in Pierce. Okay. You do not have these problems in the other counties. It's only okay. King County that they have this problem. And, and uh, you know, they unilaterally just decided we don't have the mental fortitude to actually hear these cases only six a day. We have we only have three commissioners that could possibly only handle two cases a day um, at the very most. That's King County. Pierce County will handle 30 cases in an hour and a half with one commissioner. Wow. How uh... because they actually aren't that complex. It's only <laughs> because they make them that complex in King County. They allow sure. so much um you know unnecessary trauma to happen that they don't need well the whole point of unlawful detainer is to be swift mm -hmm. and narrow in scope and highly procedural right okay. so okay. You, yep. that's it so it was literally like did you serve this thing yes did you pay in full no rip bye <laughs> done <laughs> Right. That's why that statute was even created to begin with. And in King County, they have defeated any purpose of it. So given what Jason and Jimmy have had to go through, I just had to ask both of them a very honest and blunt question. Would they still continue to be local rental housing providers? Not only rental housing providers, but affordable rental housing providers. Would they continue to do that after all of their legal challenges that they've been facing in King County? We uh, we had a, a forum down in uh, Tacoma to speak to some of the uh, laws that they're trying to pass there. And we had a, a local landlord down there talk about how if a tenant refuses to pay rent, they still have to cover the mortgage. And we had somebody in the audience yell out, well, you assume the risk. And I, I, just, I couldn't understand that. I'm like, well, sure. But when the risk goes up, the cost goes up. And if nobody's going to take the risk to be an affordable housing provider, especially after your type of situation and, and the people that you've spoken with, you said, man, I don't want to get into that housing. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? It does that logically you're right. It doesn't make any sense because somebody has to provide the housing. Mm -hmm. So I always ask people this who are like disagree with, you know, people, some people, a lot of people these days disagree with people owning property in general. I yes. Mean, that's something that, that is like a talking point. I'm like, okay. So even if that, I'm not saying I agree with this, but even if that is true, and even if our system to its roots is broken, just assume that. Um, who's going to provide the housing? Who does it? I mean, the, I, like I said, I only speak to things uh, um, from my own perspective. Sure. And so in my life, my skill set comes in where I can add value to my property with my own hands. And that's what I did. I spent years working on that house. I made it comfortable. I made it nice. I know a lot of people who don't have those skill sets, right. but who could do other things. And they've rented from me and they totally appreciated the transaction. So that's where I come in. I can provide something to others. It's my skill set. I'm I can provide the housing. Who's gonna do it if 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 people who have the ability don't do it? It's not gonna be the government. I mean, well, I, I would argue that's what a lot of people would say. In you don't want to live in area. government housing. I 100% agree. Do you want to live in Eastern European block right. buildings? Old Soviet. So, yes, exactly. It's not going to happen. Well, and then, you know, the, the small providers like you go away, then 
all they are left with is the huge corporate guys who sure can maybe swallow the cost a lot easier than you can, but that's all you have. That's, that's another people thing you have to deal with. If I could like to talk about yeah, is, please do. Yeah. is, you know, I've heard of stories of people with big apartment buildings, you know, multi-unit properties who they're struggling in, in they probably the same way I am with getting delinquent tenants out. But another thing is they apparently can't even get out people who are a danger to others in the building. So that's a problem for them. They might be able to, to eat the legal costs, but the environment is the same for me, guy who owns one house right. and the guy here owns multi hundred unit apartment building. Mm-hmm. There are no benefits for people like me or, you know, maybe somebody who owns two houses or their neighbor's house or, or something. You got to eat those legal fees and right. that could put you under. I mean, yep. Do you think after this entire experience, if you, uh, when, when you are able to um, remove the tenants from your property and you are able to finally get back into your your property, um, do you think that you will continue to be a landlord in King County uh, or Washington State even, given given everything that you've had to go through? I will not. Like the Nevada or Florida, that's what I'm hearing from the other people. The people okay. are, they are there, that's uh, where you should be. Like, but it's total, simply in the, the tenant is exploiting the system. There's, he knows each and everything that he not supposed to reply to anything. He sign wherever he say, I said, okay, sign it. That you have received it. He will sign it. I send my friend to give him a notice. He will sign it. Okay. He's not scared of anything. Sure. Yeah. So he'll, he'll kind of just sign stuff to keep things moving along. And then when it comes down to it, it doesn't, doesn't show or doesn't pay. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Nevada or Florida. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> that's yes. what the other t- landlords are saying that co-workers, I met a lot of people. They said they get rid of their properties. And because of this thing, uh, being a, when you're not in situation, you don't feel the pain. And when you, when you are there, then only you realize, Oh, it's a mess. You try to reach out different people. Then you hear the stories. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, small, small landlords such as yourself, um, you provide a lot of the affordable housing and, and, you know, as, as an individual, you can work with people when they're having trouble, maybe for a month or two or whatever it might be. You're not yes. the, big, the big corporate guys that yes. have a huge legal team around them and, um, you know, aren't really willing necessarily to do that all the time. But, and that's what I think people fail to realize is when, um, when, you know, people like you decide to, Hey, I'm, I'm done. I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm out and you sell and you move. The only people they're going to have left to deal with is the big corporate guys who come in and, and buy yes. up all that supply or, or the house becomes owner occupied. You know, maybe you sell it to, you know, somebody who decides to buy it and occupy it, but either way it comes off of the, the rental market. And um, I'm sure, as you know, we all obviously already have a huge shortage of that in this area. Yeah. Um, and so every uh, every politician is saying the same thing affordable housing affordable housing yes. yeah i'm i'm nominated at the human services of uh, city of Bellevue. i'm like a vice chair there and all oh. the time when i see read the news the organizations come i give my example like they said they feel empathy with me but empathy the bank don't listen to me like mortgage i have to pay my mortgage right um, and then even the, the late payment items, I, I know it's uh, a little different in Bellevue than in Seattle, but, um, in Seattle, if you're late on your rent payment, it's only a $10 fee. And, yes. um, I live down in the Tacoma area and they, uh, are working on a, a rental measure down there as well. And so I was just curious, I, I had to look at my statement. I, I was curious, 
well, what's my late fee if I am late on my mortgage and it's 4% of my total payment, it's not $10. Um, and so I think, you know, the harder they make it, as you said, you're, 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 you're going to get out and I, I don't blame you. And I, I hear that from a lot of other, uh, small rental housing providers that it's just not worth it anymore. Yeah. My parents, um, they own, uh, three single family homes in Tacoma and they are, uh, they've, <clears throat> they've been landlords for, I think, 25 ish years and, uh, they, they might sell them. They're just kind of, I did. I, I own single family rentals in Tacoma. You did? Oh. And yeah. I could see the writing on the wall. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I was like, nope, I'm not. And you never know with city councils, like how fast they'll move on something. Right. They basically can do it in the dead of night is what it will feel like. Mm -hmm. And it affects your property rights so significantly that I just said, as soon as I could see the writing on the wall, I was yeah. out. I was like, no, I'm not going to be here to find out how bad this gets. So you heard from Jason Roth in his segment there uh, talking about difficulties for some rental housing providers to remove um, dangerous tenants from properties. And uh, you, you, we're not talking about non-payment of rent. We're talking about people who are actively breaking rules of the property or maybe even breaking uh, the law. And with the lengthy eviction process in King County, we're, you know, as we've talked about getting up to closer to a year to evict somebody, uh, this is also leading to a lot more confrontation with those evictions. Evictions. Uh, we had a, an incident earlier this year where a King County Sheriff's deputy tried to serve an eviction in Ballard and was actually shot at. And it was just all around a completely unfortunate situation. And so I spoke with Caitlin Jackson about how she sees the eviction process going into the future and uh, the safety for all of those involved. I want to just one of the last things I want to touch on was uh, safety of evictions overall. Um, we had that eviction earlier this year where the sheriff's deputy was uh, shot while trying to um, basically finish an eviction process. Um, I know that went well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm. I'm just curious. Um, do you think that that may become increasingly uh, unsafe in the future for for deputies serving eviction notices, or or do you, just with the way the laws have changed so much? There is no other result other than more harm to people whether it be a deputy other residents tenants or even the defendant themselves yeah by slowing down this process this process is actually oftentimes what is necessary for um other uh safeguards community safeguards social safety nets social services to engage themselves with somebody who's spinning out mm-hmm Without losing housing, a lot of times it doesn't meet the check marks that are necessary for social safety net and social services to step in. Sure. Okay. So if you're a tenant and you are off your medication and you are showing signs of, you know, an increasing uh, erratic, erratic behavior, dangerous behavior, if it's going to take the landlord a year to get you removed, is that going to improve or spiral? Sure. It's only going to go one direction. Yeah. And yeah. and so I and and unfortunately I had several cases over COVID when we couldn't remove anybody where it was like you could see the signs happening, but you couldn't do anything until literally the definition was until somebody is hurt, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then somebody yeah. had to somebody had to become a significant and immediate health and safety risk to themselves or others. Yep. If you've gotten to that point, it's too late. Right. 
Yeah, I had I had property. There was one property manager in Bellevue who was stabbed in the chest by a tenant trying to serve a notice because, of course, we've asked many times in this in this last legislative session, RHA, Corey Brewer basically pleaded with the legislature to change RCW 5912040, which is the state statute for service of the notice, which none of these things can happen. None of these rights are are formed properly until you have service of the underlying notice, which requires somebody to go, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how dangerous it is, knock on the door and try to hand a notice to the occupant slash tenant. And if somebody is spinning out of control, that is extremely dangerous. The police won't even do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you, as a as a landlord or a uh, property manager, you are completely qualified to go to go into that same situation that the police won't. Multiple do. property managers have been grievously injured. Their their safety put at risk. Died. Mm. I mean, there was one in Bellevue who was stabbed in the chest. He died. Um, tenants spinning out trying to hand him a notice. Um, and really it's just horrifying of such a simple change to just allow a notice to no, you don't need to knock, but you can post on the door and mail. Like even that would be great. We should have electronic service because we're supposedly like so green and trying to save trees that we should be allowed electronic notice or, you know, whatever. But if we can't get there, at least stop requiring people to literally put themselves in harm's way. I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Jason, Jimmy, and Caitlin, and I hope everyone now has a little bit more information on just why the eviction process is taking so much longer in King County. If you'd like to see change with the current eviction timeline and the current policies and processes uh, that these people are having to go through to get their final eviction and get their property back, I would reach out to your, your specific King County Council member and ask them about this problem. Look for new episodes of Housing Matters every two weeks on all popular podcast platforms. You can also find the video version on RHAWA's YouTube page. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, and that way you'll get a notification every time we post a new episode. You can always reach me with any topics that you think should be covered in future podcasts at my email, chjalseth at rhawa.org. The views expressed in episodes of RHAWA's Housing Matters podcast do not necessarily represent the views and policies of the Rental Housing Association of Washington. Formal legal advice and review is recommended prior to selection and use of this information. RHAWA does not represent your selection or execution of this information as appropriate for your specific circumstance. The material contained and represented herein, although obtained from reliable sources, is not considered legal advice or to be used as a substitution for legal counsel. Copyright 2023.